Hello and welcome to the Law Life Balance podcast with me, your host, Caitlin McPhee. The Law Life Balance podcast is here to help drive much needed change in the legal industry. We all know that lawyer well-being is at an all-time low and mental well-being is a particular concern. Sadly, one in 10 lawyers under 30 globally are experiencing thoughts of suicide and that is just not okay. But all is not lost. There are so many incredible people out there fighting to make the legal industry a happier and more sustainable place to work. And it is my mission to track them down and interrogate them on this podcast. So in season one, I'm speaking to thought leaders in the legal mental wellbeing space about what we can do to make lawyers' lives that little bit, or even a lot, better. Some firms will attract good people because they, they're a big firm and they've got a big brand and they're always going to have that. Um, but ultimately, people are looking for different things now. They're looking for more than just money, you know, and that's where, you know, realistically we, we fit because it's not just about a salary and being a lawyer. It's about what lifestyle do I want? What type of clients do I want to work with? What type of work do I want to do? What type of people do I want to work with? Uh, what type of networking events? And there's all of this shift in the culture of the traditional way of working in the law firm is is quite an exciting space to be in everything happens for a reason and I always say look for the opportunity in every situation because we often always focus on the negative and there's actually a lesson usually in every situation might be quite hard to find it at the time but there usually is something there Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Law Life Balance podcast. We had a bit of a break whilst I took some time for myself and had a holiday, which was very much needed. But I'm so excited to be back and bringing you another episode today, this time with the wonderful Jodie Hill. Now, a lot of you might know about Jodie already, but I certainly didn't know as much about her as I do now before we recorded this podcast episode. Jodie really is a powerhouse of an individual. Not only did she cross-qualify from being a barrister to becoming a solicitor, but set up her own law firm at the age of just 29 years old. I was also really excited to speak to Jodie because she has spoken so openly about her own struggles with PTSD, anxiety, and a recent diagnosis of ADHD. And I was fascinated to understand how this has impacted her career. So in this discussion, we cover so much about her setting up her law firm, what it's like running a law firm with well-being at its core, how to measure lawyer performance without billable targets, and the importance of a people-first approach. But let me stop blabbering on and let's dive into the episode. Here's Jodie. Jodie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. It's taken us quite a while to get here. I know, <laughs> I know, you know what it's like, busy lawyers, but no, thank you for asking me. It's a really, really great topic. Yeah, I'm yeah, really looking forward to diving into this conversation. Can we just start with a bit of an introduction, though, to you, um, a bit of your background and also maybe your route into law? I think that's always quite a nice place to start for people. Yeah, of course. I I actually had quite um, an unconventional route to law in that I wanted to be a barrister. I went to um, bar school um, and, you know, was absolutely dead certain that that's what I wanted to do. And I got called to the bar in 2010 and just something in me was like starting to shift. And I don't know, it was more of a, I suppose, my mindset was so fixed on where I wanted to be. And then I started working in a law firm and then my mind started wondering as, oh, I could do this and I can do that. And actually 
then I decided at the same time as I got offered pupillage, I got offered to cross qualify, which I suppose is effectively like um, doing your training contract, um, mm. but just a slightly different exam because I'd already done the bar. Um, so I, I decided just to cross qualify and actually the w- area of law that I work in, I can do my own advocacy. So being a barrister, I didn't need to be a barrister in employment law because you don't need higher rights of audience and a solicitor can do their own advocacy. So I took the view that actually I could still use everything that I've trained um, to, to do in terms of advocacy and, and, and advice and build on those skills and become a solicitor. So in 2013, I um, I became a solicitor and basically stayed in employment law and just I just yeah I love the uh, the employment law space and discrimination so I kind of I suppose fell into it in, mm. in, in the sense that that's where my first job was um, and then from there because I fell into it and actually really enjoyed it. it was actually the year the Equality Act came out so it was quite from, from a geeky employment lawyer's perspective it was a really exciting time because it was consolidation of all of the legislation around discrimination mm. I was kind of involved in delivering the training around that so so yeah very unconventional route to law there are lots of people who always ask well why why would you switch isn't a barrister better than a solicitor and, and all of those questions and I think you know ultimately as we grow are what we want changes and I think you know you, well I'm, me personally I have to listen to that um, otherwise you kind of resent what you end up doing because you've fixated on well that's what I said I was going to do when I was 16 we're very different people when we're 16 mm-hmm. um, and being able to flex that and um, and kind of go with the flow a little bit yeah I don't think lawyers are that good at, at doing that though are they, <laughs> they don't. absolutely like, not like a plan <laughs> That's so true. I think that's such an important point you've raised as well. It's that whole sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? You know, it's really easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I've invested so much time and effort to get here. So I have to stay and I can't change my mind. And you're a really good indication of someone who's done that quite a lot, I think. So what was it? So obviously you started as a solicitor and were you at a firm practicing for a while? Yeah, so I was at a firm for about five years. Yeah. Um, and then I left the firm um, when I had a mental breakdown. So I was mm-hmm. unwell. Prior to that, I've always talked quite openly about the fact I've got anxiety and had PTSD. And I was just really struggling. I'd been on medication for years. I'd always managed my condition, but I was really, really struggling for lots of different reasons, both work and personal. As we know, it can tend to be all sorts of stuff. It's not mm-hmm. just work. And I ended up having some time off sick. And in that time, I realized that I needed to leave the job that I was in in order to recover. So I took, I don't know, I think it was maybe four or five months off um, and then realized I had a mortgage to pay. So I had to mm-hmm. do something. <laughs> um, and actually, it just it, it allowed me to to really rethink like what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And again, transition from being an employed solicitor to working for several firms self-employed because I couldn't find a role that was really truly flexible and would allow me to deal with my recovery whilst working because actually working was part of my recovery. I needed to work but in the right environment. Yeah. So that was like my sense of purpose. So that really helped me once I found the right environment to basically thrive and and really start to enjoy what I did again and feel better so it was part of my recovery journey and finding the right type of work that Mm. worked for me absolutely and yeah I think again that other point is so important thinking about the fact that you know for all that work can be a contributing factor to high stress and poor mental health actually sometimes it's also good 
And we need a certain level of routine and challenge a lot of us in order to, as you say, thrive, which brings us on quite nicely to the name of your firm. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what was the motivation behind setting, setting up by yourself and tell me a bit more about Thrive Law? Cool. So obviously gone through the, the kind of the, the lows, you know, had be, was unemployed, um, had a breakdown, set up as a consultant, all in the space of about six months. Um, and it got to about the end of the summertime, say or probably autumn time. And I was thinking, actually, I've now got a full caseload. And I was feeling much, much better mentally. And I was mm-hmm. in a much better place because, like I say, of the environment. And also I'd gone through therapy and the medication was helping. There was lots of things that had changed that really supported that. And I just felt like I can't, if I could help someone else not go through what I went through and create a culture in a law firm that puts well-being and mental health at the top of the agenda, not as a, well, once you've done 10,000 hours this week, then you can do well-being, but actually embeds that within the core of everything that they do. I know it's a challenge because no other firm does it, but I really felt like there was just something there. And and I also didn't want to go work for another firm, but I was at the point where I, I had such high capacity of workload that I had to do something because I was getting lots and lots of working and I couldn't do it all on my own. Um, so, so yeah, in a moment of madness, I did set up my own law firm at, and I found out, I probably went through the application process for a couple of months. It's a bit of a dry process, just filling forms and things. And then during the Christmas time, I actually got an email from the SRA whilst I was away on holiday and they'd said, you know, effectively, your application has been successful. And I'm thinking, I'm 29 and I have a law firm. Now what? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I called, So I decided to then embark on the marketing stuff um, before we opened the doors as to Thrive Law, which opened on the 1st of March 2018 and so from the January to the March that's when I worked on the brand and the like getting an office and just really just deciding kind of what I was going to do and actually start recruiting as well yeah um so yeah I, I decided on the name Thrive because I felt it really embodied the culture that I wanted to create mm-hmm. um, and actually the clients that we wanted to attract as well so mm-hmm. it's not just about our staff it's about a people first approach in everything that we do and I think that the name really embodies that. Yeah, agreed. And I and I just love that. And I'd like to to hear and understand a little bit more about, you know, how do you make sure that well-being and mental well-being in particular is at the top of the agenda? What does that mean in your culture of your firm that people can do that, put that first? Sure. Well, mainly because I I try, well, I've tried very hard to lead by example. So if I'm struggling with my mental health or I talk about my my past as well and when I have had those darker days but even now you know my mental health fluctuates all of the time Um, I also was diagnosed with ADHD last year so um, trying to kind of manage that new medication alongside a mental health condition obviously one's neurological one's mental Mm -hmm. health so I'm just really open about that and I make it normal and you know I can be the CEO of a firm and still have these conditions it doesn't mean that I'm incapable of doing anything Mm -hmm. it just means that I need different ways of working and different environments and I really encourage that open communication across my team and it's great to see them do that when they really open up and you know they're really really open with me to the extent you know pretty pretty much know everything about all of them in terms of mental health and and it's such a great position for me to be in to to know that it's working in that Mm -hmm. sense Um, but also I think getting them involved in the initiatives that we run asking them what they think would help 
we we have well-being days so it's paid time off to kind of basically do self-care mm-hmm. so it's rather than having a holiday and using your holiday for that when actually that's rest time it's about focusing a whole day or a half a day just on your well-being because you can kind of feel like it might be slipping so before it gets to that I'm now having a breakdown point it's about yeah. that preventative approach yeah yeah I love that I think it's so important I don't understand really how anybody can put their well-being first if the permission isn't being given from mm. from the top and so I think it's really great that you've kind of set that piece your you know at your end and said look this is what I'm going to do and therefore I give you permission to do the same and would you say that that is kind of why it's successful or are you quite prescriptive in some of the things that you tell people to do like how does that work so we're, we're actually really flexible. Um, my, my team have quite a lot of autonomy, even, even at the junior level as paralegals. So they all still work from home. We've always had home working at the core of um, the business values. And that was mainly because actually when you are struggling mentally, sometimes it is just easier to turn your laptop on and do a couple of hours and have a nap or, you know, to start later because you've not slept properly. Mm. And it doesn't mean you have to have a full sick day. It's just that you need to work differently. So we really encourage everyone to continue to flexibly work. And that's a combination of, I think most people go in the office one day a week, Mm. if that, um, but there aren't fixed days. I don't prescribe the hours as long as the work that they said that they'll do is done. And if it can't be done, they communicate it to someone else and someone else can pick it up. It's, it's For me, it's really about communication. I think ultimately I don't want to be pres- too prescriptive on how things should be mm-hmm. because the cult, they, they kind of embody that anyway in the culture. So the team are the culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so like when my clients speak to me, they'll say, oh, they're so thrive, you know, and it's that people know what that means. Yeah. And that's, you know, we're, we're three and a half years old now. And that's so, it's so nice to hear that, that people are starting to understand what I was in my head. I had an idea and sometimes I can't articulate it in the way that perhaps I would like to, but actually when people say, Oh, you know, that's so thrive or the staff say that, or when we're recruiting, we're like, well, we, they have to fit with our values. What does that mean? Mm. Um, we're just going through a rebrand actually. And that's where all these kind of these thoughts and ideas come up. Cause it's like, well, who are you and what, and what, what is it you're trying to achieve? And it, mm. I find that really, that whole process really exciting to kind of revisit it. And actually we're still in the same place. It's just about how we articulate that more outwardly. Yeah. Inwardly absolutely. we do it really well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so important, isn't it, to have a really cohesive culture, both internally and and externally facing. But I'm just kind of thinking here, I can imagine that some of the feedback you might sometimes get or a question you might get asked is, but how how do you make sure that the work gets done? And I think sometimes in a really flexible working culture, there's a fear that people might take that too far and, you know, yeah. not do enough work or take too much of the personal time or take liberties. And um, what's your experience of that? And what would you say in response to that question or that fear? I think it's a, qu- a very common question and we certainly get asked it a lot by clients. Um, I mean, we don't have an issue with that thrive because we we work as a team. We've got supervision meetings set in place, one-to-ones. Uh, we use tech for managing our cases so everything's cloud-based but we also use 
things like Asana and Slack. So we can streamline that communication so that we're not bombarding with emails. But it also means that if someone is working flexibly and say, say they're not going to be online or say that person's allocated the phone that day, they will tell people and say, I'm going to go out for a walk for an hour at lunch or I'm going to do. So it's about, again, it goes back to the communication piece. So we kind of, we don't need to micromanage because we trust that the staff are doing what they say they're going to do. And we have really clear processes in place about how uh, how to do everything from home and and also kind of like how to guides for things so mm. that people feel they've got a step-by-step guide on how to do certain tasks but also then they can tap into the senior team if they need to via lots of different methods um, but it is definitely a concern I think you need to really communicate to the team that you know flexible working only works if it works both ways mm. so that's a really important conversation to have and it's not oh you can you know as some employers think oh well they're just doing nothing well that's that's not the case and actually it comes down to management and communication and those things are intrinsically linked when you're trying to effectively roll out policies like home working flexible working hybrid working whatever the new normal looks like employers need to think about how they'll manage that because it'll change you know your methods of communication will change the types of meetings that you'll have the problems your your staff might encounter and also if they if they're not available what what's the what are the expectations set some boundaries and, mm. and manage that on a regular basis don't just kind of let it flurry on for six months and say oh well actually every every morning I try to contact you at nine and you're not available well I work flexibly so you can't you really got to be careful on that I think from a management perspective mm. around the expectations of your team if they are working flexibly mm. It's that all communication is p- key piece all over yeah. again, isn't it? As it, it is, it's in every area of life, not just yeah. at work. Yeah. And I think more so when you're working remotely, because we were so used to kind of seeing people and going, can you do this? And mm. oh, they look busy. They look busy. It's the kind of, you know, I'm sat at my desk and I'm present, but am I really doing anything busy? Mm. Uh, but the reality is I've actually seen you know, since all of my staff are fully home working, um, you know, the in- there's an increased output. You know, if people are on with their work, it doesn't means they can get on with things quicker and actually they can mm. finish earlier. So it doesn't always mean that people are not doing stuff or, you know, they're, they're slacking off. But the reality is you're never going to have 100% of your workforce that you can fully trust. You're always going to have those issues regardless of what type of arrangement that you have and so it's about managing that properly and making it clear that that's not the example within this organization Mm. and we have um we have this thing called the mad awards which is making a difference and every month everybody votes for each other so management aren't involved we can vote but we're not allowed to be voted for obviously Mm. um and you can win half a day's holiday if you've like made a difference that month so um so there's like quite a bit of holiday up for grabs um or, or you can have a voucher but the idea being that we all look at how each other works and how each other has made a difference to the team that month. And they all have to kind of say why they voted for that person. So it's a really nice way of the team collectively noticing those people who've gone over and above. But also I find that you then don't have, we've never had it anyway, but then you don't really have the kind of slackers, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think that this model that you have adopted could be applicable to every law firm? Or do you think that there are some potential blockers of this being possible in the industry more widely? And if so, what what do you think some of those are? 
I think it I think it could be applicable to some law firms. I think ultimately the the culture and the infrastructure is so important before you roll something like this out. And I think you can end up causing more damage to, to especially to say junior lawyers by just simply leaving them on their own with the incorrect support, lack of communication and lack of infrastructure. So it really does depend on on where those firms have got in terms of their journey around well-being, around communication and also around home working. But it's clearly doable. So many law firms do it. There are loads of flexible working firms now. Um, it's quite cool now, apparently, after mm. after um, <laughs> after we've had a, a forced lockdown and people have realised that you can actually work from home. Um, and, you know, personally, I, I, I like the idea of flexible working, not you are a home worker, you are an office worker, you are hybrid and these are your compulsory days. But I do understand from a rotation perspective why you may have to have like one or two mandatory days or, or whatever it might be mm. to, to kind of meet the service level of the office. Yeah. if you are keeping the office open but I but I certainly think it's it's something that more and more firms are looking into from on the ground with like uh, people going in at graduate level mm-hmm. that seems to be something that is being pushed um but I do think there's a long way to go for say the bigger firms where they want to see the paralegals they want to see the juniors every day and it's that presence thing that's mm. in a lot of firms so it's kind of the you don't leave till the partner's left vibe yeah which, it's yeah. yeah the presenteeism issue um we know yeah. that that can be extremely problematic for people's mental well-being specifically yeah um and that also is linked obviously to how we have always time recorded and evaluated lawyer performance right so the billable hour is now going through the kind of overhaul of you know does it work is it toxic mm. do you use the billable hour at thrive no, we don't have billable hour targets. So a lot of the work that we do is fixed fee. Now we do time record on nil rate to see mm-hmm. whether that is like a profitable fixed fee. Yeah. Um, but there, nobody has hours targets. Um, the paralegals that have any targets, um, their training, that's how in my head, how I see it, like their training, yeah. so I want them to take their time. The solicitors have annual billing targets, um, but they're relatively low compared to other firms because we account for the fact that they do support the paralegals and they do marketing mm. and they do lots of other stuff. So in a smaller firm, you know, you're not just at your desk doing hours and hours and hours and hours. It's everyone's quite involved in the progress of the marketing and the brand and getting involved in writing blogs. And mm. there's a bit more to it than say in a traditional firm or in the bigger firms you kind of got to get stuck in yeah so that's accounted for in the target um but we also have a, a profitability bonus if we hit a certain profit all the staff get a fixed bonus regardless of seniority so that gives the junior team a bit of more commercial awareness and it's not just about how many hours you bill it's about the value you bring mm. um, and then the other side of it is it's all linked to behaviors so nobody gets a bonus unless they hit the behavior so even if you bill over your target if you don't hit the the behaviors that are required in the firm then you don't get anything and so that tries to drive away the toxicity around this is my file I'll put all the billing on and I'll keep all of this and I won't share to be more of a team player yes sounds like collaboration is a big value yeah yeah collaboration and and flexibility reliability both ways and Mm. lots of um indicative behaviors that really support the culture that we already have to make sure that it doesn't end up being focused just around money obviously Mm. we're running a business and we need to be profitable in order to grow but the reality is you know we were 
we're not the type of firm that want to encourage that toxic behavior where you work and you bill 20 hours a day that's it's not healthy and it does certainly mean that people often can kind of keep cases for themselves and mm. they don't work as a team as often I find in those situations or the other the other way where people put time on a file that they really don't need to be putting on there um so it doesn't work for the clients it doesn't work for the staff so why are we doing it and I get that lots of people will say well we've always done it this way and that's how it works but change is upon us I think (laughs) Uh, yeah absolutely I think you know if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic last year March last year when the legal industry was told you know you might have to go and send everybody home and everyone will be working from home it was panic stations like not possible can't can't do it not gonna do it I think a lot of law firms actually close their doors a lot later than a lot of other companies just thinking, well, you know, we'll be fine. And here we are 18 months down the line going, some, some firms have decided to stay fully remote. You've got Mm. flexible working models. I think it's, as you've said, it changes upon us and there's a real, I keep saying this, like a window of opportunity to reevaluate how we do things. Yeah. I think what would be really interesting to see is you know, what, what some of those changes are that might come in. And what I really liked about what you were just saying is it sounds as though you have this real appreciation for the fact that people contribute, not just in the work that they're doing, but in multiple different ways to the Mm. culture of the firm. Mm -hmm. So you're accounting for in terms of how you're evaluating somebody's presence in like, well, marketing and how Mm. how have you showed up how have you showed up as a person as a colleague and that time that you spend at work is really Mm. valuable to the organization as a whole and so I think that those sorts of things are things I know I would like to see coming into more law firms is Mm -hmm. yes Kate billable is really important the client is obviously super important but so is everything else that you do to make this a, a great place to work and, and ultimately a profitable place to work, right? Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, we, you only attract good people if you've mm-hmm. got, um, you know, well, some firms will attract good people because they, they're they a big firm and they've got a big brand and they're always going to have that. Um, but ultimately, people are looking for different things now. They're looking for more than just money, you know, and that's where, you know, realistically we, we fit because it's mm-hmm. not just about a salary and being a lawyer it's about what lifestyle do I want what type of clients do I want to work with what type of work do I want to do what type of people do I want to work with Mm. Uh, what type of networking events and there's all of this shift in the culture of the traditional way of working in the law firm is is quite an exciting space to be in um obviously we you know we were doing it few years ago but it is nice to see that other firms are embracing it and, and there are lots of flexible working firms I know um like legal studio they they've always been fully flexible and they have always you know promoted it I used to work with them before I set thrive up um and and they're absolutely fantastic on on, on the ball with that but that's a consultancy model so it's a yeah. slightly different way of doing it so I think it's he's a different but I suppose kettle of fish when you've got actual employed staff who are very junior, mm. who, you know, maybe need a bit more support. So you just, I think, I, I certainly think that more firms will adopt this approach moving forward, whether they want to or not, just mm. kind of when. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it is certainly something that people are asking for. Although I would say there's a lot of junior lawyers who really do like to be in the office. It's not, you know, when I say flexible working, I mean, I'm not saying everyone should work from home forever. I actually don't think that's very healthy just to work on your own at home all the time when you're, when you're learning. Um, it's about knowing what projects to work with people on, 
It's about knowing when to collaborate, about when we're going to have the team meetings, what we're going to do. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of planning that goes into it from my perspective, certainly. Uh, we have quarterly meetings um, that are in person where we ha- you hire somewhere out and have lunch and have an apps and have a, like a half day of it. Mm. Um, and then we have regular, more um, case orientated meetings on a bi-weekly basis. And then we have monthly one-to-ones, which rotates around the management team. So again, they're face to face. So it's quite a lot of management time, which mm. I get, you know, does take it out of the profitability. If again, if you're looking at from a billable hours, um, but you know, it's in, it's in, you're investing in your people, and ultimately, they will then go on to be better lawyers, better managers. So, mm. you know, I think it's so important to have that people first approach because ultimately, all that will happen if not is you'll they'll end up leaving, and then you have to recruit someone else, and you'll be in a vicious cycle. And actually, that takes up more time and costs more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what what's your experience been? If you know, particularly, I'm thinking here about more junior lawyers and some of the things that they might ask for when it comes to you know looking after their health and their well-being what are some of those things that they might frequently come and say actually this would be really helpful for me or that would be helpful for me so in my experience I mean I've only got paralegals I haven't got any NQs or or trainees at the moment but um, but kind of speaking more widely from the people that I mentor and the stuff that I do on social media it seems to me that the flexible working part of it is probably one of the most important and being able to, to feel trusted, Mm. you know, to get on with stuff, but also being involved in, you know, in whether there's a hearing on or whether there's meetings like that communication around this is happening. Do you want to come along and also giving them the opportunity to, you know, ask, ask things beforehand, read the file and then ask questions afterwards. Like, people can turn up to stuff and have no idea what's going on and that makes them really anxious because they feel like they should know and they Mm. don't know and the reality is they are at a a phase of life where they're learning and they're not going to always get it right and they're not always going to know what's happening but having a really comfortable environment where they can ask some really open questions and get that feedback so they can understand and kind of learn from it so otherwise what I I always find you you end up I get you get this a lot with junior either junior lawyers or work experience where they just get put in a room and told to listen to everybody and they've no idea what's happening and it can be really daunting and cause quite a lot of anxiety for people so I do think you know if you're gonna take on people at that level investing the time in actually training them and having those one-to-one meetings where they have an opportunity to raise stuff Um, and obviously if you are doing client meetings and things having that opportunity even if it's five minutes for a debrief we've got five everybody's got five minutes um also just access to support as well so whether people need coaching or counseling or cbt or just generally what support has the firm got and do the junior staff know about it Mm. and is it okay to do that because i think if the senior team aren't engaging in those initiatives or the help then the junior staff will think well they don't do that and they're so i'm just not going to say anything so Again, I think it can be really difficult if the senior team seem really robust and they've never had a mental health problem or been stressed in their life. They are absolutely fine. And then you're encouraging staff at the junior level to engage in all these initiatives. They're less likely to be open. So I suppose it goes back to the transparency bit at the beginning where I was talking about being authentic and having business leaders and management teams lead by example so that they kind of open that conversation because junior lawyers are quite scared to say they're stressed. Massively. 
Yeah, massively. I love that you've just raised that because I think it's so important to to understand that you know, yes, okay, it's it's vital that leaders are robust and resilient in order for a business's success, but it's also vital to acknowledge the fact that everybody is human. And mm. I think you know we've still clearly got some stigma around mm. it's not okay for me as a leader to appear weak and I say that yeah. with inverted commas yeah um, because actually vulnerability is not weakness they're very different and it is so powerful when a leader stands up and says I'm having a really hard time or I've just made use of the firm's counseling service or the whatever it may be mm-hmm. because as you say there are actually a lot of really great resources that a lot of firms have on offer for people but it's are people using them? Do they know it's okay to use them? And my experience also has been at times that, you know, you might have a great event that you want to attend or that you're running Mm. and people feel that they can't turn up to that because it doesn't feel like something that's technically work when Mm -hmm. actually, you know, looking after your wellbeing and learning how to be more resilient at work is part Mm. of the process in itself. So are we really giving people that permission? And how are we doing that? For me, I agree with you. It's leaders setting the example and having the courage Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable and share. I think vulnerability is such a it's such an interesting point. You probably know about Brene Brown, but you know, her stuff is amazing. And I think she she hits the nail on the head when she talks about the power of vulnerability yeah. in leadership roles and I think ultimately it isn't easy being vulnerable it's not easy talking about having a breakdown does it does get a bit easier but it's not easy but nothing in life worth having is easy that's good mm. right so yeah. but you know you do have to you do have to I suppose it helps as part of your own development and your own recovery and your own personal and I suppose self-awareness I think being vulnerable helps with all of that as well but it also has such an impact that you just don't even realize on so many other people um and I suppose if there's anyone listening who is kind of wondering how they can get their leaders to be more vulnerable there's a campaign called this is me which is really really helpful in doing that because it helps showcase business leaders across the whole of the UK from Barclays Bank to PwC to big firms all going do you know what I've got bipolar or I've got schizophrenia. You know, they talk about mm. all their different conditions in a normal way because it is normal to have, we all have mental health and at any point mm. we can have mental Ill health. So really trying to end the stigma and change the conversation so that it's normal to talk about that. Like if you said, I have a bad back today, everyone would go, oh, how did you do that? Mm. So we can say, do you know what? I didn't sleep well last night or, but then it's like, oh. Well, oh, which they're not good at their job. And it's about changing yeah. the reaction and changing the conversation when we talk about mental health. And it might not even be that someone's had a breakdown. It might just be that they're they're stressed and they, they don't know how to communicate that to somebody because they're scared of being seen as not able to cope with the work. Mm-hmm. They can cope with the work. They just need some more support or actually the work that they've been given isn't something at their capability level. So yeah. let's, re, let's re, you know, let, have that conversation around it rather than simply just pushing people to keep going. Mm. Absolutely. And I really liked what you said earlier about how sometimes, you know, it's not that you need to take a whole day off or a long period of time. It's that you just need a couple of hours to gather yourself together again, or go for a walk, change your environment, have lunch with a friend, whatever it may be, go to the gym. Yeah. And 
I think the danger is that in a culture where people don't feel able to speak up and say they're struggling, they don't take those small periods of time. And then it hits crisis point. And at crisis point, you're looking at weeks or months out of work. And this is the thing that I think we need to really start to rethink and to, and to think about the impact of, because Mm. I don't think we've quite understood that yet, that Mm. speaking up sooner is actually beneficial in the long term because it's much less likely to result in that crisis moment and that yeah. part point that it's really hard to come back from. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's always, well, it's certainly for me always been the approach that well, let's be preventative rather than reactive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so many firms that will wait until people are at, you know, do you probably saw the Goldman Sachs thing where, you know, people, yeah. until they're at breaking point. And then it's like, right, well, then we, got plenty more people so we'll replace them I mean what a toxic culture to think actually you're a cog in a wheel and once you break we'll get someone else you know that's for me personally I mean there's people who want to be in that type of culture but I think there's less people that want to be in that type of culture and a lot more people that want to feel valued in more than just their output in monetary value yeah, totally. Um, and cycling back to what you just said, you know, I think times are times are changing and people yeah. want different things. And we're already starting to see, you know, churn rates are going up and talent attraction and retention issues. Mm. So I think, you know, it will soon get to a point where it isn't possible anymore to, you know, just to churn people mm. out really quickly and then think you're going to find a good replacement or yeah. somebody who can do the same thing that that person was doing that you just burnt out. Yeah. So I think it is really important that leaders especially are taking the time to really think about this now, like what kind of place do we want to be mm-hmm. and, and what kind of people do we want to work here? And then how do we need to treat those people so that they can stay long-term? Yeah. Well, that's it. Cause it's investing in people in the long-term because, yeah. you know, constantly recruiting and retraining and, um, you know, going right back to basics every single time with someone that has it that has its own cost it might not Mm. it does have a monetary cost but it has its own cost in terms of the damage to the culture if you're constantly churning people around um you know it does it sends a message Mm. you know people aren't happy people move on don't get me wrong there's a there are personal reasons why people do that but I think where there's a high turnover of staff or where people leave because they have a breakdown or they leave because of mental health issues because they feel unsupported people talk you know and it's you know oh that's not a firm to go to because that's how they treat people and you know ultimately there's a reputational side to it as well because you know there's obviously there's a big brand that you can hide behind for a for to to a degree mm. but I think ultimately there are and this is not just big firms it's small firm you know all sides of firms but obviously it's easier for a bigger firm with a big brand to to still attract people mm. um but it's a competitive market and it's about making it you know they're competitive in the right ways as well yeah totally totally I think that's a really nice point to kind of tie up the majority of the conversation, um, if that's okay with you. But before we go, I'd love to ask you the rapid fire questions that I ask every guest at the end, if you've got time. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So Jodie, work-life balance means? Work-life balance means making time for me as well as work. Mm. If you could change one thing about the legal industry, what would it be? Their approach to diversity and inclusion and mental health. Mm. and in the sense of making that broader making it more inclusive yeah yeah um are you reading anything at the moment and if so what are you reading 
Yes, I'm reading Matt Haig's Midnight Library. Oh, it's so good. I read it really (laughs) recently. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm only like about a quarter of the way in. So I'm just like, she's done a few lives. Sorry to ruin it for anyone. (laughs) But but no, it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I don't get to read much though. That's my issue. Um, With my ADHD, I do struggle to kind of read consistently for long periods of time. So I'm trying to make my me time before bed and have that time. So yeah. It really helps as well. I find reading before bed, I tend to sleep better rather yeah. than being in front of the TV or my phone. Definitely. Um, love that. Okay. What's one new hobby you would love to try? Oh, this is a good one. Well, I recently took up surfing and mm. we were talking about this before. Um, do you know what? I actually, I don't think there is a new, I literally do stuff if I want to do it amazing yeah so like I wanted to learn to surf so I just went and took myself surfing on my own (laughs) so so yeah I'd I'd say at the moment there isn't anything where I'm like I really want to do that I do want to travel more but I was that was already a hobby so I can't really have that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah as as you know I love surfing too so maybe it's continued to get better at surfing (laughs) yeah or yeah and actually make time for it yeah that's true yeah agreed one thing that the world needs more of is kindness and compassion I'm having two (laughs) you can have two but but I really do think like in more ways than one I mean even just look at the stuff that's happening in Afghanistan and Lebanon at the moment it's just awful so you know you can you that can that whole whole piece on kindness and compassion can relate to so many situations not just in the legal sector in the workplace yeah agreed so much okay and then one thing that the world needs less of is Mm. oh this is a tough one because it needs a lot less of lots of things <laughs> um I think we all need a I'd probably go with judgment mm. um I think judgment is probably something that people feel they have the right to do all the time so I think if you combine the kindness and compassion with less judgment I think the world would be a better place I agree. It's interesting, isn't it? Judgment's one that can also be really subtle. You often don't mm. realize that what you're doing is judging in a situation. Mm. Yeah, so I agree. Those things in combination would would definitely make the world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Money being no object, what's one other career you would have loved to pursue? So I actually wanted to be a doctor. Um, mm. So that was my first choice, and I didn't get the grade, so I went and became a lawyer. So. <laughs> Um, so for all those people going through clearing, it doesn't end badly if you didn't get the right grade. Yes, so exactly. I frantically went through clearing. But yeah, I wanted to be a doctor um, and I wanted to work in psychiatry, which ironically, I now work in mental health in law. So I live in the same place. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'd like, I would have liked to have been if I could have my time again. That's what I'd do. Super interesting. What's a quote or a saying that you love? Um everything happens for a reason and I always say look for the opportunity in every situation Mm. because we often always focus on the negative and there's actually a lesson usually in every situation might be quite hard to find it at the time but there usually is something there I love that I I put up a post really recently actually which was a mantra that came out of my coaching session which was the worst thing that can happen is you learn a great lesson yeah and I try and really live by that like you know it might be scary it might go wrong and if so great I learned something really useful from that experience yeah I I always say that to my team as well like you know sometimes people you know nobody gets everything right all the time and it's about encouraging people to be open about that and say do you know what I made a mistake how can I learn from this and I think that openness around 
the fact that we aren't perfect and we do make mistakes and actually let's help you look for the lesson in that if you don't know what that lesson is yeah and that's what life's all about learning yeah. and growing we yeah. don't do that if we don't make mistakes yeah exactly <laughs> so anyone that thinks they've not made a mistake is lying <laughs> <laughs> exactly um okay this one I think is not going to have one answer but one thing that you do to look after your well-being is um lots of things but I'd say exercise is my therapy mm-hmm. um that is combined with walking weightlifting surfing yoga they're my key exercise areas although I did did play netball before lockdown which I really enjoy I like team mm. sports it allows my brain to relax um and I journal I, I journal yeah. and I practice gratitude and I I'm just always like reading stuff that kind of helps open my mind to different ways of working and different perspectives nice so, yeah, so lots that, you're right things. there isn't one no, there <laughs> never is <laughs> well, hopefully it gives some people some ideas of things that they can do yeah one day that you will never forget is launching thrive yeah yeah the like the just the fact that I had like my own office and my own law firm all on my own <laughs> yeah it's amazing I still myself still now I think you're so brave (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah I mean and I was because I was so young as well and I'd never been a partner or a manager or anything like that so there was a very steep learning curve but equally like very proud moment to have my little logo up there my little business cards yeah so nice okay and finally and you'll be good at this one because you do this already one Mm -hmm. thing that you're most grateful for right now is so I'm most grateful for my dogs right and this is because having I mean, one of my dogs is only a baby. Um, my other dog's eight. But having that company when I've had to isolate or when I've been in lockdown, I live on my own. And it has been so invaluable. And getting me out for a walk, getting me into the routine, that unconditional love, I'm just so grateful for their presence and like the the relationship you have with, with them. Um, and I think more, I think it's noticed more so because of the environment that we've been in. Mm. Um, and the routine that I've had to change, you know, going to the office every day, actually, I mostly work from home, home and kind of mix it up, but make sure I take the dogs out a couple of times. And I do. Yeah, I'd say it's just like anyone that's got dogs will know what I mean. Um, yeah. it's, they've been an absolute godsend. And I got a puppy in the last lockdown and she's amazing and she's wild and I love her. <laughs> and I've, I've, se- I've seen little photos of her popping up here and there. She's so yeah. cute. It's so it's actually so nice that you say that I'm getting a puppy. She's actually oh. coming tonight to visit my boyfriend and I. Um, and she she's a rescue from Spain. We're in Spain at my mum's at the moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, she'll come at the end of October. She's so cute. But it is quite yeah. a terrifying big leap to make that commitment to having a dog especially when like you I love traveling yeah so we're now like how are we gonna do this yeah it is it is but I think um I'm really lucky with my grandma she lives on her own and she loves having them so I have like that that support network Mm. Um, and actually if I've got business meetings like I'm going to London for a week and things like that some of my staff like to look after the dogs they're like oh they're all like I'll have them I'll have them so I haven't split them up yet um like you know have them separately Mm. um but it's certainly a big commitment having two dogs I mean I don't have kids so 
they're my children basically yeah, yeah. that is <laughs> what people moment. say <laughs> exactly well um, yeah tbc on how that goes for, yeah. for us but hey jenny thank you so much for sharing i mean this has been a great conversation i've loved learning more about thrive i definitely didn't know that much about it before so thank you yeah, um for anybody who wants to find out more about you who doesn't already know who you are how can they how can they follow your activities yeah, sure. So if you go on Instagram and Twitter, it's at I am Jody Hill and Thrive is uh, Thrive underscore law. Um, and you can just uh, head to our website. There's loads of information there. It's thrivelaw.co.uk. Amazing. Thank you. I'll link to those things in the show notes for everybody. Jody, thank, thank you. you so much. We made it. If you stayed to this point, thank you. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps and I'm always super grateful for your support. You can stay tuned with all of the Law Life Balance updates at www.law-lifebalance.co.uk, including the show notes and links to all of my wonderful guests. And if you particularly like today's guest, do follow them through their channels and reach out if you want more information. I'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Law Life Balance podcast.